<laughs> well, today we're going to be talking about this part three, or lesson three of this series, Treasure Principle, Eyes on Eternity. Last week, uh, or rather part one, was led by Marco, lesson one, on Treasure Principle. And then last week, Ken Chow did a great lesson on God is Enough. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a preacher. This is all new. I'm an anesthesiologist. And my job is to put people to sleep. <laughs> I do that very well. So I'm not sure what they had in mind when they asked me to speak. But I think we should pray that that doesn't happen. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, Thank you for the incredible blessing of bringing us here together this morning. Father, just be with our brothers and sisters that uh, cannot make it because of schedule, illness, whatever the case may be, Father. Send your Holy Spirit down upon them and encourage them, protect them, and watch over them. Father, be with each and every one of us here today. As we hear your word, Father, help me to preach your word, to encourage, to inspire those all of us, to draw closer to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Well, I feel really grateful giving this uh, talk. Let me tell you about my last 30 months. January 2011, my older brother died unexpectedly. May 20th, 2012, my other older brother died unexpectedly. Five days later, my mother-in-law died. March of this year, and by the way, you know, we hear mother-in-law jokes, but I love my mother-in-law. I took her on our honeymoon. And we had a fabulous time. Just to show my appreciation for the lovely wife that she had given me. March of this year, 2013, my older sister died. So, you know, it has been a little bit of a challenge, to say the least, to stay close to God and keep my eyes on eternity. Maybe some of you can relate to that. We're going to see a clip now. Many of you may have seen that movie. It's called Schindler's List. At the end of the movie, Oscar Schindler, he he was a wealthy German businessman who had saved thousands of Jews from the Holocaust. And he went through an inventory. He had given, really, uh, so much. But even at the end, he looked at the things he had. The pen on his lapel. He even went through to talk about the car that he drove away in. He put a value to how many other Jews he could have saved. I show that because, not to make you feel like you're not doing enough, but it's the heart that Jesus calls us to, to want to serve and help. And that really, it's, it's the thing that, why Christ came and died. There's a uh, passage in a book 
that uh, I think sums up the heart of this movie and the heart of Jesus. The book that uh, is about the human spirit. And it says, Jesus taught what we should minister, that we should minister to others. Loving them as we try to improve their situations. We may not always feel a sentimental generosity toward others or even like or approve of them. God's kind of love, however, demands that we act in their best interest. That book's No Need to Panic uh, by Donnie Kramer. I happen to know the author personally. Now, between you and I, I have a secret. Oh, okay. Between you and I, I have a little secret to tell. She... Okay. Got it. Okay. Okay, perfect. So you fix it. I'll just take it off. The little secret is this. Pressing on toward the goal. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Now that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead. I press on to take hold of the goal to win the prize for which, Christ, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then should take a mature, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of this. And if any, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. What God is saying here, it's like we're sprinting in a race. And the finish is up there. Forget what's behind. Don't look back. Our reward, the prize, is in heaven. See, Peter, Paul was obsessed with going to heaven. When was the last time that you thought about going to be with Jesus? When was the last time you thought about the resurrection of Christ and longing to be with Jesus? Paul thought about it all the time. An example, Sheila Sujimoto asked me the day before a half marathon to run with her. She had trained, she was in superb shape. I, on the other hand, had zero training. And when we got to mile 10, it's 13.1 miles, I hit the wall. This is me. Here's Sheila. 
Oh, the sun is out, the weather's nice, listen to the birds. And for a split second, I really got irritated at her. I really did. But then she said, oh, Calvin, the finish is up there. You can do it. You can make it. We've only got two miles left. And she slowed down and ran beside me, keeping my eyes on the finish. I would not have made it. I would have quit. It's only because Sheila kept me focused on the finish that I was able to complete the race. And that's what Paul's telling us here. Forget the past. Don't look back. Focus on the finish. You see, when we die, we will stand before God. And when we stand before God, do you want to have regret or reward? Now let's get into the sermon. Eyes on eternity. Three keys. Everything belongs to God. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Luke 12, 16 through 21. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Who do those crops really belong to? God. The man, yes, needed food. God had provided that for him. God met his basic needs. What are our crops in our life? Time, possessions, our emotions, our money. You see, everything we have belongs to God. We are stewards of God's money. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Malachi 3.8 Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And tithes and offering. Hope Worldwide is a benevolent organization. It meets the needs of the poor. On our 25th wedding anniversary, I had a great vacation planned for my wife and I. And she said, no, I want to go serve the poor in Cambodia. And you have at the top, it's my daughter Jennifer. Her and Elaine went out and spent... They would travel two hours providing formula to 
remote areas in Cambodia that uh, this was the only source of protein for children 0 to 14. Now think about this. How many 14-year-old children do you know that still take formula because there's no other way for them to get protein? The bottom is me. You know, I had a blast. I spent 15 hours a day operating and teaching the Cambodian physicians first world medicine. You see, it's hope worldwide. Your sacrifice, your contribution, and your dollars have enabled there to be a Cambodia that we can meet the needs of the poor. Here's a quick bit of marriage advice. Listen carefully to this. It's why my wife is still with me. <laughs> you see, we understand our roles in the kingdom. I am the head of the house. You ask her, there is no doubt about it. I am the head. I rule. Okay? Did you hear that, wives? Now, you know, Elaine knows her role. She is the neck. And she turns the head this way and this way. I'll let you figure that one out. <laughs> okay. Where's your treasure? Is there... I'm sorry. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6.21. Enemies of the Heart, great book by uh, Annie Stanley. It looks at uh, things that really hinder our ability. I call them diseases of really keeping our eyes on et eternity. Guilt. Guilt is I-O-U. I hurt my wife. I hurt my children. I hurt my friend. I have sinned. Therefore, I have no value. I messed up. I can't lead a Bible talk. I can't help anyone. These are things that make me feel guilty. And left unchecked, I get selfish. I get inward focused. And it paralyzes me. Paralyzes you. Guilt stops us from keeping our eyes on eternity. How do we conquer it? Go back and apologize. Pray. Confess. Get help. It's a simple cure. Anger. I struggle with this. Anger is... You owe me. You did this to me. I want respect. You need to apologize. You, you, you owe me, 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 me. You know what? You know what that all stems from? For me personally? I think more highly of myself than I ought to. You know what? I'm just not that important. And anger. The cure for anger really is just forgiveness. Remember how much you've been forgiven. Remember how much Jesus has given you. That's the cure. Ah, greed. Hey, I owe me. You know what? I work hard. I sacrifice. You know what? I deserve a break today. 
you want to deal with greed, you can't wait until you feel like being generous. No. You become generous and your heart will then feel generous. It's a decision. You've got to give your time, give yourself, give your emotions, give your possessions, even when you don't feel like it. And that's how you conquer greed. Where is your treasure? Show me your schedule, your hobbies, what you talk about, what you read, who you have over for dinner, your checkbook, and I'll show you where your heart is. Elaine has a friend here today, not a member of the church yet, with his children. They brought Thanksgiving basket. This is the start for him to show his kids what really matters. You see, I believe that the church is the greatest force for good in this world. You know, warts and all, I have seen lives change, marriages healed, smokers quit, drug addicts rescued, families reunited, the poor fed, and most importantly, the lost saved. Now, the church is not perfect, but I've seen so much good in my 25 years as a disciple that I am all in. You see, like Paul says, I am straining for that prize. I am not going to look back. I'm going to forget the past. Nothing in this temporal world is going to get me to take my eyes off Jesus. I'm straining. I may have to walk sometimes. I may have to crawl sometimes. But my eyes are on that trophy, that trophy that Jesus has before me, that he's ready to hand me. Never you live your life for something that death can take away. Moses understood this. Moses was going to be the prince of Egypt. And then in Hebrews 11.26, he says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. He was straining, running the race. Luke 12.15, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not... Consist in the abundance of his possessions. Why is it so hard to give? There are many roadblocks to giving. Unbelief, insecurity, pride, idolatry, selfishness. Our busy, hectic lives. Increased cost of living. Keeping up with the Joneses. However, I am convinced. Really convinced. Without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the greatest deterrent and hindrance is that we think this is our home. It's not. It is not. Our home is in heaven. We become so attached to this that we lose sight. We lose sight. We lose focus. We stop looking ahead. We look back and we lose. This is the village of hope in India. 
Again, hope worldwide. And um, it's because of your dollar that we're able to take care of. You see, the older woman there, she has leprosy. Notice her hands. But you know, she has a hope. You see, the children, they have hope. Because of your, your dollar. Because of what you give. You know, how we took vacations. How you take care of the poor, you'll never know what an impact it has on your children. Heaven, key number three, not earth is my home. We spend a lot of time thinking about ways that prestige and resources and belonging to elite institutions make us better off. We don't spend enough time thinking about the ways in which these kinds of material advantages limit our options. David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. You see... What this book does, it points out that what we think as an advantage may actually be a disadvantage. And the things we think in our lives that are disadvantages can be advantages. See, it's all perspective. You see, each of us needs to look at our lives and look at those things that we think are disadvantages because I'll bet you, you put them before Christ and you can turn them into an advantage. That's what Paul was trying to get us to see. He was trying to get us to see that, that prestige, wealth, elitism, by themselves, they're not bad. But if used selfishly, only for ourselves, they will keep our eyes off eternity. They will hold us back. Back to our rich landowner now. Luke 12, 18 through 19. It says, Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds like the American dream. This is what the world lives for. This is temporary. You see, where is this man's home? To here and now. Where is your home? How does he plan to spend his time? Only on himself. How do we, how do you, how do I spend my time? We need to take inventory of these things. You see, where you choose to store your treasure depends largely on where you think your home is. I'm tempted with. I'll just be honest. I want comfort. You know, I want, I mean, even after my necessities are, are, are met. You know, give me more square footage. Give me more acreage. Give me more miles per hour on that car. You know, that's what the world teaches. But Paul said, no, forget it. 
Don't look back. Strain ahead. Take that prize. Get that trophy. Now, I think if we really understood the place that Jesus has for us, the home that Jesus has, this would not be a problem. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt the home that Jesus has for me. He's got a bacon mansion. I mean, and, and it does not stop there. I mean, you, I mean my, my God loves me. I got a bacon mansion. I got me a bacon summer home. I mean, look at that. And it doesn't stop because he knows how much I love Christmas. I love my holiday lights. Oh, yeah, I got me a bacon Christmas home. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. But, you know, when you think about it, this is, I mean, that's, that's the best my little pea brain can come up with. And we're talking about the creator of the universe who has been planning for 2,000 years. He's already got your home. You look at nature. You look at the world. Look at the miracles and the things we see around us. And the best I can come up with is a bacon home? God has so much more planned for us. All right, back to our rich landowner. Luke 12, 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This rope goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever around the world. It goes on for eternity. Okay? This is your existence for eternity. It goes on and on and on. You see this little red part? That's the timeline of you on earth. What we do during this red part will determine how we live for the rest of eternity. You know, I'm an anesthesiologist. I deal with trauma and death all the time. I watch young children die. I watch teenagers die. I watch young adults die, middle age, and the elderly. Tomorrow is not promised. To none of us. This is just a whisper. A few short lives. A few short years. And we've got to understand. You know. I've been questioned. Said Calvin. The things you do. The decisions that you make regarding your time. And your, your money and your possessions. Is really going to affect this red part. 
I mean, what about your 401k? What about your, your home? Your house? What, what, what about all these things? And I, I respond, I go, are you crazy? What about your decisions? Because you're making decisions that's going to affect all of this. And here's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. There, I mean, there is nothing wrong with owning a home, a car, any of that. But it cannot own you. It cannot own me. Paul says, we can't live for the red. We can't look back. We've got to forget the past. We've got to strain for what's all we've, we've already attained it, you see. Paul says it's already there. We just got to stay focused. Laser sharp. Even when the legs hurt. Even when you want to cry. Even when you're, you just don't think you can make another step. Paul says, don't take your eyes off the prize. Jesus is there. Jesus has a big old trophy. Big gold medal. He's waiting. He's waiting. Teens, he's waiting for you. Marrieds, he's waiting for you. Singles, he's waiting for you. This is not our home. Heaven is. Second Peter 3, 8, 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand it. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Harvard professor, economist, read this and said, he was quite amazed. He said he went to go talk to God. God, Lord, is it true that a thousand years for us is just like a minute to you? The Lord said yes. The economist said, well then, a million dollars to us must be like one penny to you. The Lord said, well, yes, it is. The economist said, well, Lord, will you give me one of those pennies? And we have a very loving God. The Lord said, all right, I will. Wait here a minute. King Solomon, we're going to just go through some passages that the richest, wisest man ever to walk the earth said. Solomon's statements. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. I deny myself nothing my eyes desire. I refuse my heart no pleasure. That's Solomon. But here's his conclusion. When I had surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Everything was meaningless. That was the conclusion. So, if that is the case, why do we keep getting fooled? We fall. We fail to imitate the heart of Paul. We're deceived into living for the red and not the rest of the rope. The good news is God has given us the ability to overcome. In concluding, remember, everything belongs to God. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
Heaven and not earth is my home. The practicals, pick one area that you want to change in. Time, uh, serving, uh, whatever it, 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 it may be, giving. Get spiritual help. Make a plan. Set a specific date that you want to see progress. I want to leave you with this slide as I read my son David's favorite passage. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Church, let us reach forward and together set our eyes on eternity. Thank you.